0: We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from 0 to 1, weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there.
1: Becoming paralyzed what changed basically every aspect of life as I knew it, my relationship being one of them. And I did the typical thing, I was in the ICU and he had stayed by my side, he slept in the hospital every night, and I did the whole speech of like, you don't have to stay with me, I would understand.
0: Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Our guest today is a survivor of a tragic car accident that killed her mother, caused her stepfather to suffer from a traumatic brain injury, and left her paralyzed from the chest down. Three years later and in a wheelchair, our guest is a full-time modern dancer at Axis Dance Company, has released her EP album, Oniko, and is the most recent recipient of the Fulbright Scholarship. Several months before the accident, our guest began dating a young man who she had met at work. It was the first time he was to meet her parents when they came to visit weeks before the car crash. Through the transition from pre-accident to post-accident, able-bodied to disabled, our guest and her boyfriend have remained together and grappled with the hardships through thick and thin. Here today to talk about her story and the impact trauma has had on herself and her relationship is Karina Ho. Welcome, Karina. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. So let's go back to before the accident. Let's go back to July 2014. Tell us a little bit about life before the accident. What were you doing? Where were you living? And how did you meet your boyfriend, Tim? So I was uh, just kind of your average
1: mid-20s something, trying to figure out her career. I was living in oakland california and um i had met tim my boyfriend at work um we had actually both been let go from the same company for dating it was scandalous scandalous (laughs) very scandalous but we continued dating and we actually had a plan to go backpacking in asia together um and uh, my however my family had decided that they wanted to schedule this road trip between um, all of us and our boyfriends from Portland back down to California. So we decided that we were gonna stick around the Bay Area until the road trip, and then once that was finished, then we would take off. Um, unfortunately, that never happened. Um, but in general, I think I was just living a very active, regular life. I was looking forward to the trips I was gonna take, the adventures I was gonna have, and and in general things were, um, life was really simple. and. and looking back on it, yes, I think simplicity is the word I think of.
0: How long were you with Tim before the accident? Tim and I started dating uh,
1: February before I was injured in August, so six months. And how would you describe your relationship at that time? It was um, it was still early, um, so it was still in that like, exciting honeymoon phase. We were crazy about each other we wanted to spend all the time together we were thinking about moving in together all of those romantic things and the the focus was definitely just on what fun thing we were going to do together you know what what adventures the next weekend we're going to have we didn't really think too far in the future um and it was like definitely too early to even consider each other like a, a serious boyfriend and girlfriend um until the accident kind of forced us to start
0: answering those questions. So it sounds like life was simpler and also your relationship, too. Everything, man.
2: So this accident, I mean, you could have never predicted something like this would happen. It's totally unimaginable. And I'm wondering, after the accident happened, did you have any idea how this would impact your relationship? Was that even on your mind at all? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the
1: becoming paralyzed, um, What changed basically every aspect of life as I knew it, Um, my relationship being one of them. And I did the typical thing, I was in the ICU and he had stayed by my side, he slept uh, in the hospital every night, and I did the whole speech of like, you don't have to stay with me, I would understand. Mm. Partly because I felt obligated to, I thought that was the thing that people should do, kind of release someone. Um, because it, it was a lot to ask of someone I'd been only known really for six to eight months um, to stick around through this really difficult time. And, and my entire family had flown in from around the world and we were dealing with funeral arrangements and hospital bills. And you know, pretty much my entire immediate family was at the hospital at once. So it was a lot of drama and it was a lot of Really, really heavy business going on, and to ask someone to stick through it um, felt like too much for me. Um, however, he was—I'm really lucky—he decided to stick through it.
2: How did he respond to you when you gave him that speech in the hospital? I don't actually remember. I, remember <laughs> I right
1: was now. on so many drugs, but I think um, had I been with a boy, any boyfriend that I had prior to this, I think they probably would have taken that ticket out. I'm lucky that he was mature enough. Um, and you know, without giving a whole history of my dating life, he was actually the first responsible guy I decided to date. My, my type was usually like the, the rogue artist type. <laughs> um, and I think that those, those men that I had been with before probably would have just been like, you know what? This is not romantic and this is not sexy and this is not what I asked for, so It almost bye. seems
0: like it wasn't coincidence that he was with you when this happened yeah maybe can you maybe tell us a little bit about what happened what the accident was and where he was and where your family was
1: yeah so essentially I'm from New York City and I moved out to California on my own so my entire immediate family had flown out from the East Coast and we were going to spend this week together Um, my boyfriend Tim was part of that road trip However, um, our last stop was to drive down from Oakland to Hearst Castle, which is about a four or five hour journey. And Tim had decided to stay behind to to do some work or I forget what reason. He originally had planned to come with us, but last minute didn't, um, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, so yeah, and my um, I had one sister who also decided to go to Napa um, since she had never been. So she also stayed behind. Uh, so it was my me in the driver's seat. It was my younger sister in the passenger seat. It was my mother behind me, and my stepfather behind the passenger seat. Um, and yeah, we were basically rear-ended on the freeway uh, by a semi truck who I just don't think was paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the impact basically kills my my mother there on the freeway, and um, my. My stepfather and I, we were both airlifted to local hospitals, different hospitals. And I actually didn't know where um, any, any of my family members were because I was held in a neck brace since I had reported to 911. I was I was conscious for the whole thing that I couldn't feel my legs. And so they immediately knew it was a spinal injury. Um, so I went into it, it felt like, you know, those hospital shows where, you know, people are rushing and yelling all these medical words on top of you and you're just looking up these bright lights zooming by you and yeah it was it was crazy it was a crazy experience um so essentially I was luckily able to remember his email address and when the social worker was asking me how to get in touch with everybody I gave him I gave him their email address and that's how they were able to get in touch with him because um he had no idea where we were
2: wow
1: yeah
0: and he came down he came immediately
1: yeah and so did my sister Yeah,
0: And at that point, I mean, what was going on in your head? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Well, I do remember
1: thinking like once the impact had, we had finally come to a stop. And, you know, when people say the world slows down and time slows down, it's totally true. You know, it's just like it's a slow blur. Um, But I remember coming to and just realizing like, man, my life will never be the same. And the first thing I actually wanted to do while I was still stuck in the car was to call him, but I couldn't find my cell phone.
0: While you were in the car before... Before the the ambulance ambulance had had arrived. arrived, yeah. Wow. So he was the first person you thought of.
1: Yeah, which is weird because my whole family was around, but yeah.
0: I wonder if even then you felt that connection with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think now... We're, you know, we're still together now, and obviously it's there's ups and downs, but um, I think we are really lucky to have met each other um, at a time in our life when lives when we were both mature enough to um, communicate well from the get go. There was none of this, you know, text messaging warfare and all these ridiculous rules that I think dating now entails. Um, like I said, in any in any point of my life, I, I don't know if it would have been the same story.
2: So it sounds like in the hospital he was he was really there for you. He was sleeping at the hospital when you were there. Um, can you describe a little bit more about how your relationship evolved as you were in the hospital, just during that time when he was in a more of a caretaker role? Definitely, um, he was
1: amazing. I mean, he was he was also going through a lot of trauma himself, and I. Th- don't think I really registered that at the time. Looking back, I I do have to give him a lot of compassion for how much he experienced, and to see someone that he loved suffer so much um, must have been really difficult. Um, with my injury, um, a lot of my bodily functions actually stopped working, and so he saw a lot of, you know, nasty things going on, you know, fluid-wise, and I just... My body was essentially shutting down, Um, and so he saw a lot of things that I did not want him to see, and it took a lot of um, being a grown woman and having had, you know, most of my young adult life be, you know, self-sufficient, completely independent, to being completely dependent on, you know, nurses. I couldn't even get out of, sit up in my own bed without a lot of help and a lot of medication. And to have this boyfriend who I'd only known for six months and just a week before we were, you know, having lots of sex and just being having a really carefree relationship to him seeing me, you know, pee in my bed all the time and much worse. It, it, yeah, I I think I had to suck up a lot of dignity.
2: Did the two of you process that experience as it was happening in the hospital? No,
1: I, I don't
0: yeah I don't think so no, no. <laughs> to this day oh
2: to this day yeah yeah
0: so yeah. how did you I mean how did you handle that like when you were peeing your bed and he was around I mean it sounded like there was the part of you that was felt really embarrassed but what how did you kind of engage with him around it I think humor
1: is was a way I tried to to ease everyone's kind of at least what I perceived as discomfort Um. But a lot of times, I, I would, it would just really upset me. It, I mean, to this day, it's still something that is difficult for me to you know, be a, uh, an adult with a disability and to have th- to deal with things like incontinence and to have to deal with a romantic partner's uh, th- or what you perceive to be their thoughts of you and, and how attracted they are to you, having seen you, you know, pee your pants or you know, what have you. Right. Yeah.
2: Wow, you were doing a lot of work caretaking other people during that time.
1: Yeah, I think that's my personality. Yeah. But sometimes I I think I I should not do
0: that. So, I mean, it sounds like when you were at the hospital, it was in a very kind of acute phase of your relationship with Tim. What happened when you left the hospital? How – where did your relationship go from there?
1: Yeah, it went from – so I – Left and I moved into a one-bedroom apartment with my two sisters, who decided to relocate temporarily, um, and Tim. We all shared one bedroom, and I was very much in recovery, so it was like the antithesis of sexy. Um, there was very little um, sex going on, partially because my body hurt too much, and also because there was no privacy, and just this whole world of unknown for everybody so he went very much into like a very uh platonic i want to say caretaker role where i needed so much care it was hard to put on my pants i mean this is a lot of information but um yeah i needed a lot of help and he shuttled me to and from my appointments um i had to go to therapy all the time and so we basically had to redefine a relationship very quickly. And um, he saw a lot of things that I wish he didn't have to see, uh, but he he was really uh, compassionate, uh, which I am, am glad for. However, the caretaker-patient relationship that we developed is one that has still yet to completely shed itself um, three years later when I'm pretty independent, or mostly independent, and, and no longer need that kind of care.
2: Mm. I'm curious how the two of you found intimacy again. You went from this acute hospital experience to being home and being taken care of by your sisters and by him and in a lot of pain. And then I'm wondering how, how, yeah, what happened next? How did you find intimacy with each other again? To be honest, it's still an ongoing journey. Um,
1: having Losing sensation in the lower part of my body has made it really difficult and the obvious challenges of being paralyzed and not having the same mobility. Um, however, that patient-caregiver relationship has also impeded on like sexual desire and lust and also spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, because we were, you know, we were new partners, there was, you know, there was still was that kind of excitement, despite the tragedy of the accident. There still was that, those recent memories of, you know, those spontaneous sex and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was easier to, you know, use verbal foreplay and things and tools and scenarios that we had discussed before. And but I think as time went on. Um, And, you know, as you are with the same partner for longer, it inevitably gets a little bit more difficult. So yeah, it's, it's, it's taken a lot of conversation and it's, um, I think it's, it's been really difficult to be quite honest. There's not a lot of open conversation in general, like on the internet or, um, you know, in, in the public media about, what happens when one partner becomes disabled or goes through a difficult thing like depression, or you know, even if I've I've heard people um, who have just been sick or hurt for like a month, and and this kind of dynamic affects their relationship. Um, so something as drastic as my situation, and um, it's really yeah, it's it's been it's been difficult. It's been a, a search, and I think. It really depends on, um, he's kind of shut down a lot, and I think a lot of partners end up doing that, and I'm sort of in this, in this quest to, to find the, the antidote to bring our sexual chemistry back to where it was, and um, I think it's just gonna take a
0: lot of healing and a lot of creativity. <laughs> And it's hard when you're so kind of familiar in the roles that you've been now for a long time, especially the roles that, like you were saying, kind of are the antithesis of desire and eroticism. And so I imagine part of that is figuring out new roles rather than caretaker to patient something new in the bedroom. Yeah, it's a, a
1: lot about um,
0: redefining
1: yourself through the phases of you know trauma and grief and you know, I just, I, I mean, I want to say as a disclaimer, like I'm only, this is only my experience. There are so many different versions of this story. Um, and for us, it's, you know, it's been three years and I feel like it's only been a recent, of recent that we've been able to start com- getting back to feeling like a normal couple.
2: What do you think has yeah. helped that? feeling of beginning to feel normal again is there anything that's been helpful in that regard
1: I think my own personal uh search for my self-empowerment um I mean back when I was first injured I was so dependent and I there was no way around it and sometimes you just have to let yourself be dependent on other people and as uh, hard as it is for people like myself and, and most people Um, it's a fact of life when something really bad happens to you and and at times you're down. Um, But I've spent a lot of time and effort trying to, you know, get back to getting uh, to work and figuring out how to be independent, drive my car, um, push myself around a city, travel alone. That has really helped me uh, re-identify myself as I used to be rather than as someone with a disability.
2: You've done more in... Three years? It's three years since the accident, yeah? Yeah. I, mean, I feel like you've done more in three years than most people. You have a Fulbright scholarship and an album, and you're part of this dance company, and um, I mean, it's amazing.
0: Thank
1: you. Yeah. I think productivity is my coping mechanism. <laughs> Well,
0: I think also dance is such a fascinating avenue for you to have pursued, especially given that your body totally transformed in the last three years. I'm wondering, I mean, do you feel like dance has kind of impacted your relationship to your body that's now very different than it once was?
1: Yeah, totally. I feel really lucky to have been able to find this dance company, Um, Having been a dancer before, I had a friend in the dance community put me in touch with the former artistic director of Axis Dance Company, who invited me to take company class. And when I first went in, I was not sold. I had never thought of dancing in a wheelchair as a thing. And it's it's an integrated dance company, so they're disabled dancers and they're non-disabled dancers. And seeing the non-disabled dancers do all the things that I could do just months before Like, it really broke my heart. It was really traumatizing. It took uh, a lot of encouragement from Tim and from my sisters to go back. And eventually they extended an apprenticeship to me, which became a full-time company job. And so becoming a professional dancer was the last career I ever thought I'd have. However, it allowed me to see myself as beautiful again. I think in a society where people with disabilities are so desexualized and um, so excluded from everything, you know, dance just being one of them, um, to be invited back into that world and to have a community basically allow me to be on stage and be like, yeah, you are a performer. Yes, like you are just as valid and just as, um, you know, talented and physical as a ballerina. And to have that kind of support, I think, was was actually one of the, the the big game changers in how I viewed myself, and I think that trickled down into my um, my interactions with Tim. We invite
2: you to spend the next few moments to just listen.
1: moment was brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N. The sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions
2: are alike. So you feel like you've gotten some of your sexual energy back? Some of my mojo. I mean, it's not all back yet, but, uh, you know, I think, yeah, To,
1: to in, in hospitals in a, a very, like, uh, medical model of disability, we are treat you know, those with disabilities or, you know, what disabilities is just one side of it. It could be someone who's just like going through a hard time in life. You, you are totally categorized and labeled and cast aside as something lesser than the, just like the average able-bodied, healthy person. And when everyone starts to define you that way and treat you that way, you start to view yourself that way. And and that really affects your self-esteem. And that obviously trickles down to everything, to your sexuality.
2: This renewed mojo, how has that played out with Tim?
1: Um, well, it definitely gave me the, um, the confidence to go out and purchase some sexy lingerie. <laughs> nice. um, I was very ashamed of my body for a long time. Um, because I think Uh, Like I said, just having the societal judgments and not seeing, not being able to see many people that I identify with now in, you know, your everyday magazines or shows, I started to feel really ashamed that I was in a wheelchair, that you know, parts of my body looked differently from the way they used to look, Um, parts of my body were atrophying because I'm not using them, and so I, I honestly didn't want to get naked even for someone, my, you know, long-term boyfriend. And so to finally be able to go to Victoria's Secret and get a sexy bra and some sexy panties was a big step. Whether he noticed them or not is a
0: different (laughs) story. So it sounded like you needed to have at least to some level of empowerment in order to just step into Victoria's Secrets. And then once getting that lingerie also kind of fed back into your feeling sexy too.
1: Absolutely, it's it's a two way street. I think the partner who is the caregiver needs to step out of that and be able to see the partner who is the patient as their independent old self again and to treat them that way and to not treat them, not to infantilize them. Mm. But the partner who's been treated like a patient also needs to step out of that shell and and treat themselves with the same respect and dignity that they used to feel and treat themselves with. Mm-hmm. So that was just my own process of coming into to that step. That's a really good point.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really helpful for caregivers to hear that message because you know, they they may feel like, oh, I need to be helpful. I'm doing my partner a service, or I'm 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 um, helping them in some way. But really, it can be so counterproductive for the romance of the relationship. Yeah, it can be very conviction. isolating. And I
1: really yeah. make. I mean, already I was from all sides of life. I was feeling um, different and labeled other, inferior. You know, those are just some words that I have felt. Um, and then to be infantilized is is yet another form of
0: degradation of integrity so you've talked a little bit about how dance has impacted your relationship to yourself and your body i'm wondering how music has impacted the way you see yourself and and how it's helped you through this process yeah um
1: so i mean being an artistic person having been a trained musician since i was a kid uh, music was one of the first Uh, Ways that I started to grieve Um, after I left the hospital. I had an electric piano that my family had moved down out of my apartment. And having so much time alone at home by myself, I started to kind of tinker on some keys and sing over some some sad chords. And it really just helped um, me relieve a lot of the, the sadness of coming to terms with my mother's death and my the reality of my life and the uncertainty of my future and at the same time um Tim was actually uncertain if he was going through a, a period of uncertainty of whether he wanted to to still date me because we had to decide if we were going to move in together and things were just really really difficult for him um and we he actually told me like uh for there was like a 48-hour period when he told me, you know, I don't know if I can move in with you. And um, it just was so sad. It, like, it really just shattered me. And that's when I wrote um, one of my first songs that I put out on my EP called Brave One. And it it was just the sense of the whole world just shitting on me, just kind of everything going wrong, you know, from my body failing me and to my family disappearing to my life as I knew it, and then to the, my boyfriend, you know, dumping me. Um, he ended up coming back. Um, I think he he had a conversation with his mother, who I think convinced him to stay with me. She basically told him about um, how his uncle had married a woman who had terminal cancer. And he, she, even though he was aware the, of the fact that she was going to pass away within a certain amount of years, he still married her and didn't regret anything. So I think that emboldened him to, to, to come back. And he did. He brought me a chicken sandwich and said that... <laughs> I want to move in with you and it was such a relief but you know I I had written that song and it just it made me feel just like an honest it was like an honest portrayal of what I was going through at the time and three years later I've you know I've learned how to produce my own music and I've um, definitely become more sophisticated in in developing it so it came went from a very raw kind of collection of chords and, and lyrics to what it is now.
2: Can we listen to it? Absolutely. <laughs> Be the brave one
1: is what they say to me. But I want some sweet sympathy. Who will make the cure? No one knows. Just swallow it down and keep the flow one of these days the speak
2: I'm curious if your outlook on love has changed since the accident yeah i mean i
1: think that i really understand what respect from a partner looks like Um, having been been in my younger days with men who have cheated and who have probably not, I don't know, who just didn't have their, am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Men who didn't have their shit together, you know, just who were maybe immature, at the time, it's just, it's all fun and games. But then when you have to go through the test of something difficult and for someone to sacrifice a lot and put their hopes and dreams um, on hold while you are getting back to your normal self um, says a lot about someone and how they care, how they feel about you. And to, to recognize that capacity of love that someone can have for me made me realize like this this is the standard that everyone should have unfortunately that's not always the case but um yeah i think yeah. it's it's shown me a lot it sounds a lot like lo- loyalty
0: yeah and dedication
1: yeah definitely and compassion mm.
0: yeah. So you guys have been through so much together. I mean, it sounds like psychologically, emotionally, physically. I mean, how did the two of you talk, if at all, about what happened um, and what both of you have experienced?
1: Well, I think uh, couples therapy, honestly, has been one of the, the major places that we were able to... Um, evenly share those experiences because um in many ways my pain and like the ways that i have suffered has dominated the conversation over the past three years and that and that also contributes to like the patient caregiver dynamic that we're talking about um because one person is the obvious victim but the invisible sufferer is was tim and I think I hadn't give him, given him enough of my ear to truly understand what were some horrible memories that he had that became really triggering, you know, three years later. And um, it took for someone to, to ask him to share that with me, because um, he's not really, you know, an open, an open guy, um, that I actually was really able to understand that it was this experience was truly horrific for both of us, just in different ways.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's hard for a lot of caregivers to open up because that's not the role that they've taken.
1: Yeah. By taking and, and that attention. And you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to take attention away from the, the obvious
2: sufferer. So I'm curious how sexual pleasure has changed for you since the accident. It has been,
1: uh, yeah, sexual pleasure is very different from what it used to be. Um, for me just because I have the particular situation of being paralyzed, it's really required me to uh, redefine how I get turned on and um, what, what sex is life without the possibility of orgasming. Um, and Since I am a woman, a lot of my sexual pleasure comes from, like, the psychological stimulation. And so actually verbal foreplay has been really important. And um, role-playing, too. And and role-playing also enables me to step out of this kind of, you know, the body that is injured and the identity that still needs healing and and this and that. And just allows me to kind of resume this sense of like sexualness um and uh yeah i think i've also appreciated things getting a little rougher uh just like a little kinkier because you sort of have to go from different angles you know the, the same tricks don't really work on you anymore um for a lot of people they've uh that i've spoken to like things like uh sex wedges or you know toys have become really paramount to uh, sex what exactly are sex wedges they're basically just like foam wedges that um because you know because i can't prop my hips up or go into a lot of different positions missionary gets a little boring after a while so like something like a stacking pillows or using mm-hmm. a sex wedge or things like that kind of spice up the positions that you're
0: you can go into Can you talk a little bit about what kind of physical sensation or how that's changed um, since the accident? Like what can you feel now? Well, I'm paralyzed from my chest down. And to be honest,
1: from my chest up, it's often very painful because I have quite a severe injury. So things like soft touch have become really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Soft touch, massages, um, stroking, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a really sensual and sexual person. So to have lost the ability to orgasm has been really difficult. And obviously every day I'm kind of like, God damn it, you know, like I miss that. Yeah. But it's not, I, I really strongly believe that just because you can't experience sex in the same way you used to means that you need to become, become asexual, which is, I think, the assumption that many people make. Like, oh, you you can't feel down there? Like, why do you even need sex? Like, all of us as human beings, we still need intimacy. We still need that affirmation from other people. And we still need that fulfillment. And so, yeah, totally not an excuse to stop being sexual and stop having sex.
2: And like you said, there's such a rich fantasy life that can exist in your mind. Yeah. Um, So just because you can't have an orgasm doesn't mean you can't be a sexual person
1: Yeah, and, and have sexual thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think about sex
0: all the time. Like,
2: 8%. So you
1: mentioned
0: that you like sex maybe a little rougher in some respects and then oftentimes like it a little softer and maybe kind of the use of touch has become more important. Have you developed any kind of um, newfound sexual interests or fetishes or things that maybe you weren't that interested in? Before the accident, um, well, my
1: boyfriend really, like most men, likes to talk about threesomes. Which <laughs> originally I was like, well, whatever. But to see, because I, I myself, don't, you know, get into that same like orgasm, like it's all about me world. A lot of the pleasure that I derive is seeing him get turned on. So even though I before may have not found that to be particularly hot. Kind of indulging him and seeing him get really excited about that idea is it, it it is a turn on. So yeah, I think um just finding ways to to see how he also derives pleasure in this new sex life that we have is also super important.
2: Have you all had a had a threesome?
1: Have no. You tried it? I I don't think I I think I, I would feel too threatened yeah. at this point just to have Especially like a non-disabled woman, um, be in the mix and still feel so, so many complicated feelings about myself. And I, I maybe maybe when the time is right, but not now.
0: It's harder to bring a third party in when you're still working through some of your own kind of process, sexual process. Yeah, I
1: mean it's hard to bring it in when you're feeling a lick of insecurity about yourself, regardless if you have a disability or not. Right. So. this is just amplified and
2: something we've talked about um with other people we've interviewed is how sometimes you don't even need the act it's just having the conversation about the fantasy that's enough yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and it sounds like you have put a little more emphasis on verbal foreplay because that is something that can be really exciting in a way that sometimes physical foreplay doesn't give you
1: yeah totally i mean Using the imagination is really powerful, especially after something like this when, like, the physical, the, yeah, you can reconnect yourself physically through
0: psychological means, almost. Hmm. If you were to give advice to someone who is disabled and interested in opening up their sex life, what, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, if the first step is definitely feeling better about yourself, Um, and that may take some time and, you know, I, I definitely didn't feel ready to have sex again for a while. It takes feeling good about yourself first. You should never do it to appease your partner because then that, that that just makes you feel worse. And so it took, like, like I said before, it took a lot of sort of self-empowerment, kind of viewing myself as normal again, as beautiful again. And then just a lot of conversation with your partner. I mean as unsexy as having to talk about sex is it's it's necessary um and it doesn't necessarily have to be like, okay, let's think about how this is going to be hot again. it could just be like so like what what turns you on and and going from there and seeing seeing where that leads you sometimes mm. that can be really sexy totally, totally. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I think that like opened up the floodgates of like, what turns you on? And he's like, ooh, well, threesomes. And, and
0: then, yeah. And I think sometimes with couples, people can get so caught, partners can get so caught in the cycle of what's wrong in their sex life that that becomes a spotlight that kind of contributes and exacerbates the issue. And that being able to reframe it into something positive or more maybe more curious actually can open up um, people's sexuality rather yeah. than shut it down.
1: Yeah, and I, even something as, um, I don't think forcing like the whole uh, sex to be normal again is um, healthy, obviously, um, but it, it is a it is something that we feel obligated to do, especially when something's gone really wrong in a, in a relationship or one person, you know. so um, So just even like simple complimenting, you know, like, oh, man, you look really beautiful or like that looks really sexy on you can be very powerful. It doesn't always have to be physical.
2: What advice do you have for able-bodied partners um, of people who are disabled? I I would say that being
1: creative and being patient are two important things. But then also just being giving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two people need to be giving, but yeah, being giving. Mm -hmm. In what ways? Just being giving to, like... You know any verbal things that someone might need or if you know if someone's body has changed you know just being flexible to that because the sexual experience is going to be different so as a partner you you should want to be able to adapt to that
2: it also stood out to me that piece you said you were talking about how it was really nice when tim stepped out of the caretaker role so you could feel more like a sexual person and and for for uh, you know a partner of someone who is disabled to have the courage to step out of the caretaker role yeah I
1: mean, I, th-
2: I think sex
1: doesn't quite feel normal until those two things can happen till you can both shed those shells at least for you know an hour um, yeah otherwise it'll always kind of feel like there is a uh, a, like a power dynamic. You know, the caregiver is always the powerful
0: one, and that's not a good feeling. And part of stepping out of that caretaker role is also making you or making your disabled partner feel sexy, because it sounds like that is a really big struggle to kind of get in touch with not only your sexuality, but get in touch with feeling beautiful and feeling sexy, and that it would be wonderful if your partner could be along for the ride and support that.
1: Yeah. I mean something that I have experienced through my my through dancing is that celebrating bodies no matter what they look like is a tremendously important thing that we as a society and culture fail to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think when when that celebration also ceases in the bedroom or you know in the privacy of your own home, then you're never really going to get back to feeling good. So mm-hmm. it's really important for both for both people, but you know, obviously in this case, like for the person who is not injured or not going through something difficult, to to put extra care to celebrate the other person mm-hmm. and make sure they feel sexy again.
2: Yeah. yeah, be curious about that.
1: Exactly, curiosity very key.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for
1: sharing this with us. Yeah, thank you for asking those those excellent questions, and I hope. Uh, you know, this isn't a com- this isn't a topic that many people discuss. So I hope this ignites conversation or is useful to to people.
2: I, I hope so too. Be. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app, or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. Mm hmm.